the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 40 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, broadcasting from my palatial office in San Jose, California. And if you saw my office, you'd know just how silly that last statement was. I'm actually in the process of relocating my office. I'm going literally across a courtyard from one building where I'm at to the other building where I'm at. I'll be on the second floor instead of the third floor, and uh, my office will be close to a staircase, which is nice. Um, Makes it easier to go up and down in the morning. I'm in the process of doing that move right now, and um, I'll tell you, if you've ever moved an office before, you'll know when I say that there's a lot more stuff to move than you realize until you actually start moving it. And uh, because of um, my physical condition right now, um, basically a very, very weak left arm and left side of my body, kind of residual from the stroke I had last year, I'm finding that um, certainly I can't move any furniture anymore. I used to be able to move my entire office on my own using rolling carts and everything else. Can't do that anymore. But uh, fortunately, there are people younger and stronger and more burly than I am that can certainly do things like that. I plan on moving many things over here in July, having an official start date for my office. August 1st, I will have completely relocated um, everything from my old office by the end of August. And then my old office will be available Uh, for someone to take over. Uh, If you happen to know anybody in San Jose that's looking for office space, um, about roughly 800 square feet of office space uh, centrally located in the Cambrian Park area, uh, feel free to have them contact me. Either call my office at 408-247-0444 or email me at radio at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. I'd like to talk with them and introduce them to my landlord uh, to see if there's someone who would be interested in taking over my space and having a new lease with the landlord. Um, My current lease goes through the end of the year, and I'd love to be able to have someone take over the space so that I don't have uh, several months of paying double rent. That's what I'm looking at right now. And I'm committed to to going forward with my move regardless. 
Now, when I'm in my new office on August 1st, the very first major thing I'm doing is August 6th, which is a Saturday morning, and I'm doing my estate planning workshops on that Saturday morning. I'm doing two identical workshops, one starting at 9 o'clock, one starting at 10.45, and that's in the a.m. They go for about an hour, 15 minutes each, so it's not too long. And uh, I go through my planning priorities quiz, which is an approach that I take to help people identify just what things are that are of concern to them um, in the estate planning area, and maybe even things they were not aware of that uh, should be a concern. You can register. The most direct way to register is go to my website at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. And right on the home page, you will actually see a link where you can go to my page that has workshops and seminars. And if you go to that page, it will give a description of my um, my workshops coming up and uh, the dates, times, where it's located, everything else. And then two buttons at the bottom where you can register for the 9 o'clock or the 1045 workshop. Just select the button and it will take you right through to eventbrite.com where you can actually register. Um, there's also a button on that page if you decide, you know what, I just don't want to go to the workshop. I would rather just book a consultation call with Bob now. There's a button there that you can uh, push on that page that will take you right into my consultation page on my website where you can book a consultation, either a phone consultation, a Zoom consultation, or an in-office consultation. It's a half-hour consultation. That's a $250 value because I charge 500 an hour when I do hourly work. There's no obligation for the consultation, but um, that is something you can do. You can book that 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, 366 days in leap year. And uh, I usually am available for booking four or five weeks out from the date that you would log in. I try not to book too far out. Uh, because uh, I never really know what might be coming up in my life in the future or in the lives of my wife and my children. So with that in mind, I have a usual format that I follow for this show, and it's basically to go over questions and comments from around the state of California. So I'm going to start in with that that right now and uh, start with a Simple question out of Oakland, California. Um, Someone said they're completing the certification of trust. Not sure what answer the question is seeking. Well, aside from the fact that this person didn't say what the question was, basically what a certification of trust is, is it's a legal document prepared by and signed by the trustee or trustees of a trust, whether it's a revocable living trust or an irrevocable trust of some kind. And the certification will typically identify the following information. Number one, the name of the trust. 
Number two, the date the trust was established. Number three, the name or names and address or addresses of the currently serving trustees of the trust. Number four, it may also include references to specific legal authority that the trustees have, may also include attachments to the certification, maybe with provisions from the trust showing what the authorities are. And uh, it will typically also state that there have been no changes to the trust since the time um, there have been no changes to the trust as of the date of the certification. And it will be typically signed, dated, and then the signatures notarized. You'll see certifications of trust being used regularly when there are um, there are banks or uh, stock brokerages involved. They want to have authority. If you go to sell property or borrow property that's owned by a trust, typically you'll need to do a certification of trust for the title company or for the lender so that they actually know that um, that there is um, a trust involved. So that's pretty much what a certification of trust is. Okay. All right. So as I'm looking here, it looks like we're we're starting to uh let's see. Uh let me check here. Let's check the clock there. It looks like we may be at about 2 minutes till the first break in the show today. And um, so I'm going to see if I can cover one more matter in here. And then we'll have the first break of the show today. And then we'll come back after the break with more Plan Your Estate Radio with questions and comments from around the state. So here's someone who said, I'm the trustee of my mother's trust who recently passed in May. Her husband, my stepfather, passed 11 years earlier. There are three beneficiaries. Two of them are stepchildren. Okay, so um, hold that thought. We'll come back after the break and continue on with this situation out of Los Angeles. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. We ran out a little bit of time in the earlier segment, so I'm going to start this question over again. Out of Los Angeles, person says, I'm the trustee of my mother's trust who recently passed in May of this year. Her husband, my stepfather, passed 11 years earlier. There are three beneficiaries. Two of them are stepchildren. When my mother became the trustee of the trust 11 years ago, after my stepfather's death, she provided an accounting through her estate attorney who has since passed. And that was on my stepfather's death. Then she never provided the annual accounting for the remaining years, nor did any of the beneficiaries ever ask for one. I assume this is probably for a bypass trust because there'd be no requirement to provide an accounting to remainder beneficiaries um, if it was a revocable trust. It says, my mom didn't keep very good records, so they're sparse. 
I obtained an employee identification number, and I moved her brokerage and banking accounts into trust accounts that have the new EIN. I've been keeping records of costs I paid, her final expenses, and those used to pay her final credit card bills, utility bills, and her memory care and medical bills. No real estate, but a sizable brokerage and savings account. The step-up of basis shows a loss due to the recent stock market action. So the question is, do I need to account for the past 11 years when my mother was the trustee or when I legally became the trustee? It's when you became the trustee. And uh, here the person saying, if I can get a waiver from the beneficiaries accepting an informal accounting and... Um, uh, with, with that work as well. Well, the, the bottom line is that if you take over as a trustee, you're not responsible to account for the actions of a prior trustee. Um, as a practical matter, it might be nearly impossible to do that if you don't have access to the records, if good records weren't kept in the first place, if if the prior trustee actually had uh, had you know lost records or destroyed records any number of things are possible but generally you're not going to be um, someone that is required to account for the actions of a prior trustee this is an interesting one out of San Diego can a judge in probate litigation in California make any decision between two competing wills other than decide with one over the other. It's the case of an old will versus a contested new will. So the question is, can a judge decide to resolve the dispute by canceling out both wills and then forming his or her own resolution for the problem? So, uh, an estate with a home worth a million could be divided up equally between two parties, as an example, when one will says that one party is entitled to the home and the other will says the other party is entitled to it. Well, I don't do probate litigation. We'll start off with that. But generally, if you have two wills that are competing, one's the old will, which presumably was valid, and then a newer will, which changes the old will, and it sounds like the new will is what is being contested. Well, if the contest of the new will is unsuccessful, then that means the new will will govern and the old will is not considered by the court. If the contest of the new will is successful, that will is basically torn up and the old will becomes the operative will. Is that is that clear? I, I think that's probably pretty clear. Um, if both sides, though, are contesting the validity of the other side's will entirely, it is conceivable that a court could decide that neither will is a valid will for some reason or other. And that would mean that the person died intestate, meaning without a will of any kind. And by dying intestate, it would mean that the laws of the state would determine how the property in the estate is divided up, which may end up going, if this is two siblings fighting, may end up being divided equally between them, 
which is <laughs> which is probably what neither one of them want. One of them wants the whole thing. The other one wants the whole thing. Um, that doesn't mean that they can't settle the dispute in court and have the court approve a settlement dividing the estate up 50-50. But the judge can't make that decision on his or her own. They don't really have the authority to just do a King Solomon and divide the estate in two pieces um, if if there's not specific authority to do that or a specific agreement by the parties to settle the litigation. Okay, here's someone out of San Rafael. Person says, I have two children and two houses. I want to leave one house to my son and the other house to my daughter. How and where do I word it in my living trust? The short answer is, I have no idea because I haven't seen your living trust. I don't know where your living trust, what section deals with the distribution of your property. I can tell you that it would be considered a specific distribution. Typically, it would appear in a living trust before any general distribution of what we call the residue of the trust, which is everything not specifically distributed by the trust. How is that distributed? That's the residue. In the trust that I do, we would likely have a specific distribution that says property number one, which in legal terms we sometimes call Blackacre. When when you take real property in law school, they call it Blackacre. That's the generic name for real estate. Um, and then property number two, which could be Greenacre or Whiteacre or Blueacre, just means another piece of real estate. Uh, the specific distribution would say Blackacre goes to my son, Greenacre goes to my daughter. There would likely or should be language saying what happens if the son is deceased. Does the property instead go to the son's issue, meaning children and or grandchildren? Same thing with the daughter. Or does the gift lapse, in which case it passes as part of the residue of the estate? But um, there's really... I would not try to answer in a few words or less how to word something like that. There's very specific things that should be done when you're making a specific distribution to make sure it's crystal clear what you're doing. And uh, there's also issues like what if there's federal estate taxes? Does the person receiving a specific distribution, do they owe a pro rata share of any estate taxes on the value of that distribution? Or is that being paid out of the the residue of the trust estate, which means that it's being borne by everybody equally and not being specifically borne by the person getting that specific property? And that is another important issue that's often not addressed in trust that I've seen. We're coming up on the mid-show break. And when we come back, I'll continue with more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is your host, Attorney Bob Bergman, in San Jose, and I'll see you and talk with you on the other side of the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. 
and welcome back to the third segment of our show today. I am going to now switch to Roseville, California. Uh, I've been in Roseville a couple of times. I've gone to court there a couple of times. It's quite a drive from San Jose to go to Roseville, um, at least a couple of hours. But um, sometimes you, you have to go where the work takes you. So out of Roseville, question, does the settler and trustee of his own living trust have to provide the successor trustee named in the trust a copy of the trust or any amendments? The short answer is no. Then maybe the better answer is you probably should. There's no requirement to provide them but you probably should provide copies of the trust and any amendments to anyone that you have named as a successor trustee uh, so that they have some idea what they're going to be called upon to do when they take over. Um, Otherwise, if they're looking at a trust document or an amendment for the first time after you've died or become incapacitated, there's no opportunity for them to Um, to talk with you, to get clarification, uh, to maybe maybe spot things that are issues that should be dealt with. There's just, there's no opportunity to do any of that. And uh, and someone might uh, uh, have a much more difficult time handling your trust for you if they're not familiar with it ahead of time. So the short answer is you don't have to provide a copy to the successor trustee. You don't have to provide a copy of any estate planning documents to the people you've named, although you should provide a copy of the power of attorney you've done to the people you've named there and any advanced health care directive to the people you've named there. And I think probably a copy of the trust might be a good idea to people that you've named as successor trustees. Now, that doesn't mean that you... You, you know, you might change your mind in the future about who's going to be in charge. And then you do a new trust, you do a new amendment or something like that. If you remove somebody uh, as a trustee that you had named and you had provided them a copy, you might want to let them know they've been removed as a trustee and request that they, that they basically um, shred or destroy or dispose of the the copies that you sent to them or I'll send them back to you so that you can do that. But uh, other than that, a specific requirement to provide a copy of anything to anyone you've named in your estate plan. Not necessarily the best practice to uh, withhold that information, but there's no legal requirement that you do that. Okay. Out of Paso Robles, California. Now this is kind of an estate planning situation, and I'll explain once I lay it out. Person says a very close longtime friend lost her son to a drunk driver. Oh, wow. She's going to be receiving a large sum of cash. My question is, as in where to put it and what not to do. She's never had money, no bank accounts, not very well educated. My concern is to make sure she can set herself up to have money for years to come. Well, First of all, a good financial advisor, if the person has never had money, has no idea what to do, but they should also probably put an estate plan in place. Maybe have accounts with the money in it owned by a living trust 
with some person or persons who can handle things for this person if she becomes incapacitated or on her death, having a financial power of attorney in place, an advanced health care directive in place, all those kinds of things in the estate plan. Now that she has some money and something to lose, it would be a good idea to do things to preserve as much of that as possible. Um, and a good financial advisor to help her invest that money to provide for her future needs, that is kind of a given. I would kind of lean towards a certified financial planner who um, would basically charge to design an investment plan for somebody but would not be necessarily getting paid commissions with the investments that are selected. Um, many financial advisors are actually commission-based, so there's kind of a built-in conflict of interest between what they might recommend and what they might make if you invest in what they recommend. A certified financial planner might be a better bet for somebody like this, where you pay a fee to have them design the um, portfolio and the investments for you, the plan for you. Um, and then uh, if you want them to implement it, they can usually implement it as well. And sometimes they might get paid to do that. But um, many planners use uh, no-load funds, which means that they they don't get paid any commission or anything when they invest in those or their clients invest in them. Okay, San Bernardino, California. This decades-old trust fraud case is now covered under the 2012 Tortious Interference Law. I haven't specifically heard of that, but I'm sure something like that exists. Last year, my sister admitted backstabber for money, executor, beneficiary, caregiver, and former employer of our mother's trust confessed that the original family trust attorney was replaced by her doctor husband's attorney. My sister conspired, lied, slandered, and used her position of confidence and trust to have my mother's trust changed to favor my sister by $250,000 cash, a house, and virtually everything our parents ever owned. And apparently, she used a fake unlicensed notary to do this. So I'm not sure how the how, where the notary seal came from. Um, if it was, uh, if they used someone's notary seal and someone signed pretending to be the notary, well, that's forgery, that's felonies, and uh, everybody involved in that who knew what was going on, it doesn't even appear, appear that... Uh, the mother actually signed the trust, which means there's probably forgery there as well. When I hear about things like this, I just I just know there is a special place for people that lie and cheat and steal involving estates and especially involving uh, impacting uh, other members of the family that were supposed to be receiving property but now have been essentially cheated out of their inheritance. There's a special place where people like that go and uh, and get their just desserts. I, I'm not going to mention what it is, uh, 
you probably know the place I'm referring to. It's uh, It can get really, really hot, oh, pretty much any time of the day or year for eternity. Um, I really have no sympathy at all for people that do that to family members or to anyone for that matter, but especially to family members. Now, here's a question that's not so much an estate planning question, but it kind of kind of is. It kind of touches on it. This is out of Fresno, California. And the people are saying, okay, the owner of the property where tenants have been living has been deceased for 20 years. And the tenants have been paying all the property taxes for the last 20 years on the property of a deceased property owner. Which sounds like this deceased property owner didn't have anybody that was a relative that bothered to come forward and do anything like, oh, I don't know, file a probate in the probate court there in Fresno County to have the uh, property turned over to whoever the heir would be. If it's just been sitting there for 20 years and these tenants have been paying the property taxes and they can prove that, and they've been living there for 20 years, it sounds like they haven't been paying rent to anybody either uh, once the owner died, Um, they can file what's called a quiet title action. And a quiet title action basically would say that, hey, we've been living in this property openly and notoriously. It doesn't mean evilly. Just openly living in this property for the past five years, in this case, 20 years, and we've paid all the property taxes when they were due. And now, because of that, we want the property turned over to us because the law says we can have it um, we can have it turned over to us because of the actions that we took and the failure of anybody who owned the property taking any action to stop that from being done. So we're coming up on um, on the third break of the show today, I believe. And okay, let's see. You know, we we got we got a little bit of time here. Um, so here, person says out of Ventura, California, I have a living trust. Since then, I've sold my primary residence. Can I use a trust amendment or a need trust restatement? In my original trust, my residence would be sold and proceeds distributed. I now live permanently in my vacation residence, which is already included in my trust. Well, you don't have to do anything at all, actually, um, if you if that was going to be sold and you don't own it anymore because you already sold it. Well, it's just not there when you pass away and your trust doesn't have to deal with it. That's kind of the short answer to that. So we're coming up on now in the third break of our show today. When we come back, I will take it home with the final segment of Plan Your Estate Radio. This is attorney Bob Bergman, and we'll finish up the show after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back to the final segment of the show today. 
I just have one more um, one more question um, to deal with today, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about just estate planning in general. Um, this is out of Palm Desert, California, and the question was this: What happens if a trustee fails to file an estate tax return? This person says, "I found out the trustee of my father's trust never filed." tax returns for the estate. My father died four years ago. Could I be held liable as an heir? Well, if we're talking about specifically estate tax returns, the first question is, was there a requirement to file an estate tax return at all? And if it was four years ago, the federal estate tax exclusion amount was millions and millions and millions of dollars which means unless the father was very, very wealthy when he died, it's likely that a federal estate tax return was not needed to be filed at all because there was no taxable estate. So that's the likely answer in this situation. There was no taxable estate, so you don't really need to worry about... um, You don't really need to worry about that. Um, it, it's going to uh, it, it's going to be uh, just fine the way it is, and there's also no California state inheritance tax return because we do we no longer have an inheritance tax here in the state of California that was repealed a number of years ago. Okay, well we've got just a few minutes together before the end of the show today. And I thought I would just talk with you a little bit about really what I see is the absolute overwhelming need for many of you out there listening to me who have not done estate planning to really get it done. One thing I've learned in my life and from many years of practicing as an estate planning attorney is that The truism that failing to plan is planning to fail is never more true than in the area of estate planning. I've had a number of people over the years that have come to me uh, after the last parent died and the parents had done no planning of any kind and now the family had to go through the probate process in order to sort things out, when if they had had a trust, it could have been sorted out much more easily and much more quickly. I also have people coming to me, and uh, they're coming to me to get planning done almost at the last possible moment. It's like saying, you know, well, okay, I'm going to, uh, uh, I'm going to, make amends and square everything with everybody I've hurt in my lifetime five minutes before I die so that I can die with a clear conscience. You know what? Life doesn't really work that way. And uh, whenever I'm called upon to do planning for someone who is in an extreme situation, someone who's terminally ill, uh, or people calling me and saying, We need to do an estate plan. It's like, okay, I'm talking to you. Uh, How about your spouse? Well, 
my husband has dementia. I say, okay, your husband has dementia. Has that been diagnosed? Yes. And what do the doctors say? They say he can't handle anything anymore. I say, well, it's too late then for the two of you to do an estate plan together. It's too late. Because if you're doing an estate plan together, you have to both be legally competent and able to sign. If not able to sign, to direct somebody to sign on your behalf. If you're now physically incapable of signing a document, there are ways around that. But you have to be mentally capable enough in order to do an estate plan. And so when people come to me that late in the game, I have to tell them there's really not much that we can do. Um, You could conceivably uh, apply for and get a conservatorship over your spouse and then apply to the court to set up an estate plan for you and your spouse that pretty much leaves everything equally between your children and have the court approve that so that now you have a trust and maybe you, you now have a you know a power of attorney, advanced directive, things like that. But that is a very tedious, drawn-out process to get that done. The fact of the matter is the best time to do estate planning is when you're calm, you're not in a rush, you can think about choices, you can make choices, you can talk with people, you can sort out just what makes the most sense, and you can work with an experienced estate planning attorney such as Bob Bergman to actually go over and make sure that you have a plan that's well thought out and covers the contingencies and all the what-ifs that could happen in your family situation. So we're about to end our show today. I want to remind you all again, I do have workshops coming up on August 6th in my office, my new office here in San Jose. You can go to lawbob.com and click on the link for workshops and seminars to get more information and also have registration links on that page you'll end up at. There's only two sessions, 9 o'clock and 1045, and they're limited to 18 attendees in each session. So it's starting to fill up now. Now's the time, if you'd like to come, to book your spot. So until next week, this is Attorney Bob Bergman. You have a great weekend, and you take care. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.